Okay, so let's begin this morning. I'm so glad you guys are all here this morning. Thank you for those of, us, of you who are joining us online. We appreciate you being here, and um, we pray that you will be encouraged and hopefully a little challenged by what we talk about today. So if you will turn with me, we're going to go back to 1 John 1, starting in verse 5. We had... Um, We've been doing a, a series on overcoming sin in your life, and I thought we were done last week with the series. And this week, God gave me a passage of Scripture that we're going to be going to shortly um, in um, Philippians. Um, but as I began to prepare my notes, I realized that this is a, another additional section of our uh, series on overcoming sin. So let's start in 1 John 1, chapter 5. Sorry, 1 John 1, verse 5. It says, This is the message you have heard from that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Lord, we come before you this morning. We ask that you would make our hearts good soil, that the seed of your word would go in and produce a harvest that would be for your glory, not for ours. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've been talking about for the past few weeks, this passage in 1 John talks about how we want to be walking in the light. And even though we, have, we still have sin, even though we still make wrong choices, even though we still make mistakes, even though we still miss the mark, the question is, are we walking in the light? So is our overall walk following Jesus who is in the light and in him there is no darkness? And even when we do sin, we confess that sin, we bring that sin out into the light and he cleanses us of that unrighteousness. So there's an expectation as followers of Christ that we are walking in righteousness, that we are walking in the light, but we still deal with sin in our lives. And James tells us that sin is when uh, starts with temptation. So a temptation comes and it appeals to our selfish desire that's already in us and says, hey, here's an opportunity for you to walk out your selfishness. Okay, so week one, we talked about um, dealing with temptation because we're still uh, we're still working to overcome sin in our lives, even though we're walking in the light. So the first week we talked about dealing with temptation and what we talked about is that the way we deal with temptation is first we recognize temptation when it comes, then we reject that temptation, and then we replace that temptation, okay? So a temptation will come to us to do something that's unrighteous, to do something that would cause us to move into darkness, and we recognize that temptation, and James tells us that temptation comes in three forms, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life, and we talked a little bit about that. And when we recognize it, we reject it, we say, no, that is temptation to walk in sin, to walk in darkness, and then we replace that temptation with a kingdom thought, with a thought that matches the way God thinks, with a righteous thought, okay? Then the second week, we talked about overcoming our iniquities. And iniquities I defined as sins that typically get us over and over again. 
And your particular kinds of iniquities are going to be a little different than my particular kinds of iniquities. Some people deal with different temptations and different sins over and over again. And these iniquities are sins that tend to really have a stronger hold on us personally. Okay, And the way we deal with these iniquities, the way we rob these iniquities of its power over us, is by what 1 John says, that we confess our sins. And other places in the New Testament, it says to confess your sin to one another. Now, this does not mean that we just throw out our struggles in front of everyone, okay? Because you know what? There are people in the church who are in different levels of maturity, and some of them can't be trusted yet, with everything that you're struggling with. And that's okay because we're going to have grace for them and we're going to have love for them. But what it means is that we find trusted, mature people in the body of Christ and we go to them and we confess to them the iniquities, those particularly difficult sins that we wrestle with. And when we confess those sins, we're bringing them out into the light and it robs those iniquities of their power over us, okay? The other thing that it does is that, you know what? That person's particular iniquity, the thing they struggle with, is probably different than the thing that you struggle with. And so the Bible says that we should carry each other's burdens. So if you come to me and you bring to me an iniquity that you struggle with, it's probably not something I struggle with, so I can strengthen you. Does that make sense? And then I will take my iniquity to someone who's trustworthy, and their iniquity will probably be different than mine, so they strengthen me. And what happens is the different members of the body of Christ strengthen each other. So not only does confessing those iniquities to someone that can be trusted, not only does that rob it of its power over us because sin thrives in darkness and hiddenness, but also that person can help you carry that burden, can help hold you accountable, and that can break the chains of that iniquity. Now, there's some iniquities that you may struggle with as long as you're in this physical body. That's just the, the that's part of life. That's part of life in this world, in this fallen world. But that struggle with that sin is what makes your spirit strong, Okay. And we, um, we overcome those iniquities by bringing them into the light. So again, we do have sin, First John tells us. We do have sin, but are we walking in the light? So are we bringing those sins out in the light? So we talked about that the second week. Last week, we talked about the main thing. Last week, we talked about how our main goal is not to fight sin. Yes, we do have to wrestle with sin. Yes, that's part of our Christian walk, but that's not the main thing. Being a Christian doesn't mean you stop sinning. That's not what being a Christian means. Being a Christian means you are pursuing Christ. You're getting to know Jesus and you're allowing Him to know you. That's the main thing. And when we focus on that main thing of knowing Christ, what happens is the sins lose their appeal because our main goal is to know Jesus and to be in love with Jesus and to let him know us, what happens is those other things that will steal from that main goal lose some of their appeal. That's why Paul talks about, or the writer of Hebrews talks about, laying aside the sins and weights that so easily beset us, that so easily cling to us. We lay them aside. Why? Because we're running the race. Okay, So that's the main thing about being a Christian is knowing Jesus. And today I want to talk about another way that we can overcome sin in our lives. Turn with me to James chapter 1, starting in verse 13. And we've covered this before. This is one of the passages that we've talked about before when we talked about temptation and overcoming temptation. James 1, starting in verse th 13. James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own what? By his own desires, by his own evil desires. Yes. I just wanted to amend that's James one thirteen. Yes, James. Right, James 1, starting in verse 13. No problem, no problem. We get to 15 as well, so you're not off, all right? But in verse 14, it says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sin essentially is any attitude or behavior that exalts my selfish desires above the character of God. Sin is any attitude or behavior that goes against who God is and what He is like. Okay, And so what happens is we have self-centered desires because God's, God's behavior and God's character is always loving. It's always loving, okay? And our, we have selfish desires, we have sin, which means we want to exalt ourselves above others. Sin is prideful. Sin always puts me first. It always puts what I want first, okay? And sin is humanity's default. In other words, if a human being doesn't, take measures to be different, sin is going to be what they typically do. It's the standard, normal setting for human attitudes and behavior is sin. And sin is pride, arrogance, me first attitudes and perspectives. Now, I want to clarify something. There is such a thing as a healthy love of self. There is a healthy love of self. I'm not talking about a selfish worldly love. I'm talking about a healthy God love of yourself. Okay? Um, Turn with me to Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Now, we have to be careful when we talk about self-love, and I have to be very careful that I remind you that we're talking about God's kind of love, not human kind of love. Human kind of self-love is, again, selfish, putting me first. It's sinful, it's prideful, it's selfish. But a healthy God love for yourself is necessary. So Mark 12, starting in verse 28, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, meaning Jesus, answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as, what? As you love yourself. So there is a healthy way to love yourself. And and that is actually included in the two greatest commandments. There are three targets of love in the two greatest commandments. The first one is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is you love your neighbor, but the third one is there's an expectation that you have a healthy love for yourself. It is necessary that we take care of ourselves. Now, love means that you put the need of the target of your love above your own desires. Okay? That's the way I'm going to define God's healthy agape love. That you, that you exalt and that you prioritize the need of the person that you're loving above your own desires. Can you do that with yourself? Can you, can you have that kind of love for yourself? 
where you put your own needs above your own desires. Right, yeah, absolutely. That is a healthy agape God love for yourself where you prioritize your needs above your own desires. That's how we love ourselves in a healthy way. And then when we love our neighbor in the same way, we put our neighbor's needs above our own desires. Does that make sense? So we love ourselves that way. We love our neighbors the same way. You know, even Jesus did this. Jesus was a model to us about how to have a healthy self-God kind of love, a healthy agape love. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Starting in verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And Jesus charged him to tell no one, but, quote, go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them, unquote. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Do you think that was a demand on Jesus? Do you think that made Jesus tired? Yes, he was living in a human body. Yes. Do you think that, that that pulled a lot out of Jesus? Yes, absolutely. That was very demanding on him in his human form. So verse 16, what does verse 16 tell us? We learn in verse 15 that Jesus became very, very busy. And it was busy doing good things. Jesus was healing the sick. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He was doing good things, but he was surrounded by these crowds, so he became very busy. So what did he do in verse 16? So Luke 5, verse 16, it says, But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So Jesus was very busy doing good things, but then he had a practice of drawing away to desolate places to pray. So Jesus had a healthy self-God kind of love where he would take care of himself. Now, does does this say he would take care of himself by um, giving himself whatever he wanted? No, he would go and he would pray, but he would take care of his own needs. So love, God's kind of agape love for yourself and others is where you prioritize the needs above your own desires. All right? So, yes. It is a perfect example of that because he knew what was about to happen. So he went to God to be strengthened and receive what he needed so he could face what he was about to face. And sometimes what we do is we neglect ourselves and we're so busy trying to take care of other people that we neglect ourselves and then we don't have the energy to love people. We don't have the we don't have the ability to love people because we haven't taken care of ourselves and our own needs first. But Jesus does that. Okay? Now turn with me to Philippians 2 starting in verse 1. Remember we're we're heading toward a way that we can overcome sin in our lives, okay? Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but, sorry, I lost my place. Doing nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, 
Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Did that verse just tell you to neglect your own interests? No. No. It says, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be held onto, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we should take on the same attitude that Jesus had We should be loving each other. We should be considering ourselves servants. We should be tending to each other's needs. But we also have room for self-care, okay? Healthy, loving self-care. So this is what I want to talk about. We've talked about overcoming sin by overcoming temptation. Um, We've talked about overcoming sin by... Um, bringing our iniquities into the light with a trusted person so that it robs those iniquities of their power over us. We talked about overcoming sin by making Jesus the main goal of our lives, knowing him and letting him know us. We overcome sin because then sin loses some of its appeal. Today I want to talk about that an aspect of, dis- of overcoming sin in our lives and living lives that walk in the light is this. We must become very good at loving others. We must become very good at loving others. Sin, like I talked about earlier, sin is selfishness. Sin is where I exalt my desires over the needs of other people. Sin is putting me first. So one of the ways that we defeat sin is not just by not sinning, but by replacing sin with love for other people, becoming very good at loving other people. Because if you are loving other people and serving other people, guess what? You don't, you're not sinning. In every aspect of our lives, we have two choices. We can take actions that are selfish or we can take actions that are loving. If we are choosing over and over again to love other people, guess what? We're not falling into sin. Does that make sense? If you're loving other people, you won't be sinning. So the fourth aspect of learning to walk in the light and learning to um, overcome sin, we walk in the light. Remember what it says? Walk in the light as he is in the light. So basically, we love other people the way he loved other people. This takes effort on our part because the default of all human beings is sin and selfishness. That's the default. That's what we will naturally go to unless we make an effort to do something different. Yes? But until an individual understands how much God loves them, it's going to be hard for them to love other people. We're going there. We are going right there. We will get there. We must make an effort to love other people. And I want to tell you that making an effort to love other people will have more benefit for you than making an effort to not sin. If we're spending all our energy trying to not sin, we're going to have very little effect in walking in the light. 
But if we are focusing our effort on loving other people, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in and empowers us to do that. And then as a byproduct, we are also not sinning. Does that make sense? So we need to not be focusing on not sinning. We should be focusing on loving other people because that's what God has called us to do. That's what the Holy Spirit will empower us to do. And as a side benefit of that, we also will not sin. Okay? Yes? It also goes back to last week, though, because not just focusing on loving people, but also focusing on God will help you to love people. Correct. And we're going to get right there. (laughs) We are going to get right there. Okay? So our default prior to Christ resurrecting our spirit was selfishness and pride. And we are surrounded by a world system that promotes selfishness. Anytime you are walking around on this planet, and especially in this culture, you're getting this message. Put yourself first. Put yourself first. You deserve a break today. Right? Isn't that what the commercial tells us? You deserve a break today. How does McDonald's know I deserve a break today? Maybe I don't deserve a break today. Maybe I've been lazy for a week and I need to get up and actually do something. But that's the message. You deserve, you deserve, you deserve. If you've ever watched uh, television during the middle of the day on a weekday, which I don't very much anymore, but there's always these, these lawyer commercials, get what you deserve. You should get what you deserve. How does the lawyer know I deserve anything? But that's the message that you're constantly getting. Put yourself first. So not only is that our default in our flesh, but that also is the message that we're getting. We are constantly being bombarded by this message from the inside and the outside. We're being pounded with this message that reinforces thought patterns of put myself first. Yes. If we truly got what we deserve, we've been held. Oh, that's a whole nother sermon, brother. (laughs) But it's true. Aren't you glad that life is not fair? Because if we got what we deserved, we would not be very happy. No, but this, these are constantly pounding thought patterns into our brains of self-first, self-first, self-first. And it's attacking us from the inside in our flesh and from the outside in the world around us. So how do we break these thought patterns? How do we begin to become loving people? How do we start moving in the light? Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. This is step one. Is that what it means when it says love covers a multitude of sins? Um, Kind of. Yeah, kind of. Loving people. Yeah. It takes yourself, takes your focus off yourself. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yep, that is part of what it means. So 1 John 4, starting in verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Look at that verse. I want everybody to look at verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, his love is perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We love because he first loved us. Let me throw out a challenge. Yeah. Sorry, just really quickly. I wanted to point out that in the Bible, it says those, um, those who do not love their brothers cannot love God. Not those who don't love God can't love their brothers. Right. I was curious about which goes first, which you have to love first. They both go together. Okay. They both go together. Because it says, we love because he first loved us. It says in verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Okay? And we love because he first loved us. So let me throw this challenge out. If you have trouble loving other people, if you have trouble not being impatient and grumpy about other people, I am pretty sure that you have not yet understood how much God loves you. Because we love others because he's first loved us. So if you have trouble loving other people, if you have trouble putting other people's needs above your own desires, I am pretty sure if you and I sat down and talked a little bit, we would realize that you have not yet understood how much God loves you. And let me throw this in really quickly. You don't understand how big God's love for you is until you understand how little you deserve to be loved. That's why the gospel starts with repentance. That's why the gospel starts with repentance. You have to understand the ugliness of your own sin. You have to understand your own worthlessness to understand how big God's love is for you. And if you don't understand and get some comprehension of your own depravity, your own sin, your own ugliness before God, you will not understand how big his love is for you. Because scripture says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's why this whole idea, I think there's, I, this is my own personal opinion, is I believe that there are thousands and thousands of people walking around America who think they are saved by Jesus and they are not because they didn't start with repentance from their sin. And there are pastors and teachers right now who all they talk about is how much God loves you, how much God loves you, how good you actually are, how valuable you actually are. And they don't start with, no, you had no value and God still loved you. You were bound by sin, corruption. You were disgusting in God's eyes. Your sin was disgusting in God's eyes, but God loved you and pulled you, wants to pull you out of your sin. And so what they do, what these preachers and teachers do is they build up your own pride. Oh, I'm, I'm wonderful. I'm valuable. God loves me. Oh, me, 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 me. And it just goes back to me first. And salvation has to start with, I am covered in sin. I am a sinner. I am a rebel. I have rebelled against God. There is nothing good in me. And God loves me. Oh my goodness. What kind of love is this that me lost, rebellious against him, full of sin and iniquity, and God loves me? It has to start there. Because otherwise you don't understand how big his love is. And if you don't understand God's love for you, you will be incapable of loving other people the way you're supposed to love them. It has to start with this. We love because he first loved us. So how do we begin to change? How do we begin to understand that? There's two things we need to do. I see two things, two vital things. Number one, 
We have to begin by changing our thoughts. We have to begin by changing our thoughts. Our default sinful selfish attitude is driven by fear. That's why it talks about in that passage that knowing God's love drives out fear. When we are self-centered, when we put ourselves first, guess what we think is the only person that's going to take care of me? Me. Nobody else is going to look out for me. I have to look out for myself. And we're driven by those selfish thoughts. That's our default sinful attitude. I have to take care of myself. The Bible, when we understand God's love for us, the Bible frees us from that fear so that we can love other people. But we have to allow our thoughts to be transformed to match his thoughts. Look at me with uh, look with me at Romans 12 starting in verse 1. Romans 12, starting in verse 1, and as always, I ask you to flip or click over there. Make sure I'm not telling you something that isn't there. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What is this talking about? This is talking about taking your body and your behaviors away from sin and giving them to God, which is the whole point of what we're talking about. And then in verse 2, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? What does it say? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, coming out of the darkness into the light. And then the very next verses tell us how this helps us overcome pride and helps us to love others, starting in verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So he's talking here about loving other people. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who acts of mercy, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, and verse 9, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So he starts this passage by saying, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then he says that will result in loving each other. So how do we transform our minds? Here we go again, y'all. Are you ready? Read the word, read the word, read the word. Thank you, Peter. Everybody say it together. Read the word, read the word, read the word. Do you remember how I said a little while ago? that we are pounded by selfish thoughts. Our own flesh is telling us to put self first. The world around us is telling us to put self first. We have to battle those thought patterns with God's thoughts. The first step in learning how much God loves you, because if you don't understand how much God loves you, you will not be capable of loving others the way Jesus does. The first step is we've got to change the way we think. We've got to allow our minds to be renewed. Listen to me. This is not a philosophy book. This book has philosophy in it, but it is not a philosophy book. This book is not just a bunch of good ideas. There are good ideas in it, but there is more to this book. The words in this book, when they are put into our minds and hearts, have supernatural God power to transform our brains. It is not enough to just try and think differently. 
It takes a miracle work of the Holy Spirit to change the way you think. And the words that are in this book, the Holy Spirit fills them with grace and power to change the way you think. Oh my goodness, am I repeating this enough? Read the word, read the word, read the word. It will transform your mind and that will empower you to be able to love others. And one of the things that transforms in your mind is you begin to see how big God's love is for you. Step two, you will not understand God's love for you unless the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. We serve a God who does miracles. And there has to be a miraculous illumination in your mind and heart. The Holy Spirit must do a miracle revelation to you of God's love for you. I am convinced of this, or you will not be able to fully experience your relationship with God. You will not be able to fully be set free from sin and set free to love other people unless the Holy Spirit does a miraculous illumination in your heart and mind. Now, reading the word is step one. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit will illuminate the truth of the word and that will open your heart and mind to understand how much God hates your sin and loves you. But I am convinced that there has to be a miracle illumination to you of God's love for you or you will not get a glimpse of it. You won't get a glimpse of it. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul falls on his knees and prays. He prays that they would have the strength to comprehend the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's got to be more than just facts in your head. I can sit all day and tell you about how much God loves you. You can put it in your brain as a fact, but if it doesn't go beyond that fact in your head, it will not transform you. It will not empower you to love people and leave sin behind. It's got to go, it has to be uh, that you know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I know lots of people who I believe are sincere Christians. They love Jesus and they want to please him, but all they do is cram their heads full of facts and they think this will make them a better Christian. They think this will make them more godly. They think that walking in the light is cramming your head full of facts about God. But Paul prays that it will go beyond knowledge. He prays that it, that 
it will that they will have the strength from the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 16 that according to the rich of his riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being to do what? That you may have the strength in verse 18 to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's lots of people who want to be filled with the fullness of God. They want to be godly. They want to be Christ-like, but they never get past the knowledge part. Paul prays that they will have a comprehension that goes, it doesn't mean that knowledge isn't important, but he says that surpasses knowledge. So he doesn't say get rid of knowledge. He just wants them to have an understanding of the hugeness, the, the, the size of God's love that surpasses just knowledge. So I want to encourage you, if we are going to become good at loving people, which will have the byproduct of not sinning, it will have the byproduct of walking in the light, not in the darkness, we've got to understand God's love for us first. And that requires, it requires a supernatural, miraculous illumination of God's word to us. It requires a work of the Holy Spirit in us that goes beyond just what we can think or what we can study. Am I making sense? It has to be an actual miracle that happens in your heart and mind that the Holy Spirit reveals to you how big God's love is for you. I was in a conversation recently with a, a man who has given his life over to Jesus. He lived most of his life selfishly, most of his life self-centered, trying to manipulate others, trying to get things, make things work, and he finally gave up, and that's a good thing. And he gave his life to Jesus, and I was talking to him about how to love people in his life, and he said, well, how do I love people more? And I said, well, first you have to understand how much God loves you. And he said, well, how do I do that? And you know what the Holy Spirit said? He said, don't give him any advice. Tell him to ask me. Tell him to ask me. So I looked at him and I said, you know what? Ask God to show you how much he loves you. Ask God to show you how much he loves you. Now, listen, I've got lots of wonderful advice. But God said he needs to see it from me. He needs to hear it from me. He needs to understand from me, not from you. So a couple weeks later, I saw him and we were talking and he said, you know, I didn't even bring it up. He said, you know, I did what you said. And I said, what was that? He says, I asked God to show me how much he loves me. I said, yeah, what did he say? He said, well, I asked him, I said, God, how much do you love me? As my father, how much do you love me? And God said, Jesus. And I said, Jesus, what does that mean? What do you mean, Jesus? And God, he says, God said, Jesus. And he says, I suddenly realized the king of heaven who had everything, he didn't need anything, came down and died on the cross for me? And I suddenly realized God loves me so much. I could never have made that true to him by giving him advice or just by describing it to him. But the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. So I want to challenge you. Ask God, even if you've had an experience like this before, ask him to show you again. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, to give you the strength to comprehend what does it say? The strength and the power through your spirit, God, to comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ for me. I want to challenge you to ask that and see if the Holy Spirit doesn't do a miracle in your heart and mind and reveal to you how big God's love is for you. Because listen, once you get just the tiniest glimpse of how big his love is for you, you will never 
ever be the same. It will radically change you forever. So God, I, I come before you today. And Lord, in prayer, I do the same thing that Paul did. God, that according to the riches of your glory, that you would grant to everyone hearing my voice to be strengthened with power through your spirit in their inner being, that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith, and that they, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length, the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. God, would you do that miraculously in the hearts and minds of everyone who's listening to me? Every one of your saints, as Paul says. Because God, when we get an idea of how much you love us, and, and sometimes that's hard because it has to start with how unlovable we were. But when we get an idea of how much you love us, we are forever changed. Do it, Lord. Let your people know how much they are loved. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, so be it. Well, Lord... Um, thank you for your word. Um, for those of you listening uh, online, thank you for joining us today. I hope you found this encouraging, but I also hope you found it challenging. If we come to the word and we're not challenged to change, we're not really going to the word in the right attitude. So I hope that you're challenged the way I am, uh, and I hope that you would pray that prayer. Ask God to reveal to you his love. Listen, we love you and we believe in you and we believe in Jesus in you. And we will talk to you next week. Mm -hmm.